BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. This is it. The putt to win the tournament. If you sink it, the championship is yours. But on your backswing, your hat falls over your eyes. Is this how you're running your business? Poor visibility because you're still relying on spreadsheets and outdated finance software? To see the full picture, you need to upgrade to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system to power your growth. With visibility and control of your financials, inventory, HR, planning, budget, and more, NetSuite is everything you need to grow. All in one place. With NetSuite, you can automate your processes and close your books in no time while staying well ahead of your competition. 93% of surveyed businesses increased their visibility and control after upgrading to NetSuite. Over 27,000 businesses already use NetSuite. And right now, through the end of the year, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind financing program to those ready to upgrade at NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Head to NetSuite.com slash C-Suite for special end-of-year financing on the number one financial system for growing businesses. NetSuite.com slash C-Suite. Hello and welcome to Ascent Dental Radio, a program dedicated to the balance between the clinical aspect of healthcare and the business of healthcare. And now, here's your host, Dr. Kevin Coughlin. Good evening. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin, and you're listening to Ascent Dental Solutions with a focus on knowledge, education, training, and development. I want to thank our sponsors, Mr. David Wolf. Without his expertise and his team, uh, these podcasts would not be possible. I also want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Vocal Supply Company, Henry Schein, Patterson, and On Demand. Without their support, again, these podcasts would be very difficult. As you know, every week I try to bring in different experts, different individuals who have a different take, not only on the field of dentistry and medicine, but all aspects of the business and the clinical aspects of dentistry. And tonight, I'm very proud to have a guest, Dr. Betty. Dr. Betty and his group is unique. I believe they have tried to find the best situation for our profession and continuing to focus on our most important asset, which is our patients and our ability to treat them completely and comprehensively. Dr. Betty, thank you so much for taking time from your busy schedule. As you know, we have thousands of dental listeners from dental hygienists, dental clinical assistants, oral hygiene educators, managers, et cetera, et cetera. Can you describe a little bit about your background, how you got involved with dentistry, and what you and your company are trying to achieve? 
Sure thing. Thanks for that wonderful introduction, Dr. Coughlin. So my background with dentistry was that I finished my dental education in India and I came to the United States to pursue my postdoctoral education in prosthodontics. And it's one of those things where you say you don't know what you don't know when you get started. And going through prosthetic education kind of opened a whole new vista on how we go about treating patients and the system rather than teeth. And unbeknownst to myself, my intention was to return back and open a practice back from where I came. Uh, but after I realized what I'd learned, I decided to stay on and then pursued a career in academia at Tufts University for a good five to six years. And from there on, I basically divested myself into solo practice for myself in central Massachusetts. And then as time went on, again, having no intentions of propagating a group, a lot of my referrers who were retiring decided that I would be a good person to sell their practice to. And then before I woke up one day, I bought four or five practices and had a bunch of people who were pursuing and working towards the profession as I envisioned it. Can I ask you at this particular point, I notice when we go to your website, www.bettydentalgroup.com, it's a beautiful website and uh, you're sort of trying to appeal and to I don't want to put words in your mouth, but all the weak areas of managed service organizations or uh, dental service, or as they like to be referred to as support groups, uh, you're trying to take all the positives and try to eliminate the negatives. What brings your group to the forefront that makes you stand out amongst all the other groups that are popping up, as you'd like to say, almost every single day? I think that's a great question, Dr. Coughlin. I think Really, it started from a value proposition as to why do we wake up and do what we do. And as a practicing prosthodontist, I think the light bulb went on in my head after practicing for a couple of years where I had patients who needed a lot of dental work, would come and pursue it and get it done. And then I asked myself the quintessential question that these patients come and get themselves fixed up. And most of these patients have dentists. How do they get here in the first place? And I think the change occurred in for myself where I said there's no way that we should distinguish a prosthodontic reconstructive patient from anyone else who walks through your doors. And we should really spend time in looking at the entire mouth and the system, even if there isn't a lot going on for them. Because if we can focus on what exists and can prevent it from deteriorating, um, in the long haul, it's a win-win for the patients and the practitioners, and with the hope that there are less people who need a ton of dentistry the way it's practiced today. Now, as you mentioned, a lot of the groups that are popping up, most of them are efficiency models where people see 15 to 20 patients with the purpose of trying to figure out how much dentistry can be pumped out. But if one looks at it from another way and we really slow the process down, and focus on the individual and figure out all that's going on for them, what typically ends up happening is as patients learn what's happening for themselves, their acceptance of the dentistry they want to do through education goes up dramatically. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves doing dentistry the way we were taught in dental schools, where you were seeing six to eight patients doing quadrant dentistry, doing more productive procedures, and in the grand scheme of things, also working the patient up towards complete health rather than 
doing a one-off tooth in somebody's mouth, which may not tantamount to fixing them up in the grand scheme of things. If you were to talk to the audience directly, as we're doing tonight, what would you say is the biggest obstacle in our profession from doing exactly what you've recommended? And I think deep down, what most dentists would prefer to do. What's the obstacle in your mind? What's uh, preventing all of us from uh, emulating your recommendations and model? I guess one can say that there is more than one obstacle. What comes to mind? Uh, One definitely is that a lot of practitioners have this thought process that frankly, patients do not want this comprehensive dentistry. And all of us have been inundated with the phrase, I only want to do what my insurance is going to cover. So oftentimes, you know, a cheery dental student who wants to practice the way way they've been taught in dental school gets out and you hear it about half a dozen times. And then you get the tired dentist approach where you say, let me just fix what's broken. It's a lot easier. There's no point fighting with patients. I also think that there is a pressure or a thought process that if you spend a lot of time with one patient, you will not do a lot of dentistry because the acceptance uh, for that patient may not go anywhere. So it's just easier getting and treating the low-lying fruit, which is broken teeth, extractions, crowns, single crowns, single tooth dentistry, as I call it. And the other part is, as time goes on, the way I see it is that with insurance reimbursements and the downward pressure on insurance companies, where your reimbursements for procedures go down, again, put a, a pressure psychologically where dentists feel that they need to be doing a lot of procedures to stay profitable. And if you don't mind, Dr. Betty, talk to us about your particular group. Am I understanding it correctly that you're in the process of uh, growing your Betty Dental Group into more acquisitions, bringing more people in? Can you explain to our listeners what you're looking for in a practice as you're considering the acquisition and what you're not looking for in a practice? Or perhaps there's uh, no boundaries at all. If the location and the strategic location of the practice is advantageous, then hopefully you can meld or mold that dental organization into the processes and procedures uh, that you feel is best. Sure thing. So we are discerning as we grow. And oftentimes I tell my, 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 the dentists that work along with us and our equity partners that we are not necessarily looking to do roll-ups for the sake of doing roll-ups. We want to make sure that we can propagate the way we consider doing dentistry. That is through education, not only of our patients, but the dentists that join us and also the people that work for us. So all in all, in this nurturing environment, we can practice relationship-based dentistry and dentistry that can be performed at a high level um, to have desired outcomes. Typically speaking, when we go about looking for dental practices, we want to find people, doctor sellers or practices that at least have some semblance of a belief in this relationship-based model where there's not a lot of managed care or where people are looking for a change into practicing dentistry in a new way um, and are encouraged by the way we go about practicing dentistry. 
And Dr. Betty, for some of the listeners who tune in and tune out to uh, my podcast over the last several years, uh, I've owned as many as 22 dental practices, close to 200 employees, uh, over 40 dental, what I'll call colleagues or associates. And I've sold practices to managed service organizations. I bought from managed service organizations and I'm still practicing full-time now. And I think I have a unique position on what I think most dentists are looking for, but perhaps you can help me personally and perhaps some of our listeners. What I find is that the general dentist is basically the gatekeeper. In most cases, before they end up with a prostodontist, a a pediodontist, a a periodontist, orthodontist, endodontist, et cetera, et cetera, they have to come to that gate, and that gate is the general dentist. And in my own personal experience, most of the general dental practices that I've purchased or merged with over the last 37 years, those practices have a wide range of different patient bases. And I think when I was looking at your website and listening to you, uh, being a prostodontist, I'm assuming, and I may be incorrect, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is your patient base mostly a fee-for-service and non-insurance? And if it is insurance-based and fee-for-service, do you limit the type of insurance that you accept? As general dentists, many of us face that once you've signed up for these PPOs or um, let's just say uh, discount plans, since almost all of the dental insurance companies, particularly in the Massachusetts and Connecticut area, they provide the dentist with a fee schedule. And once you're in network, you're obligated to uh, charge the fee schedule that's dictated by the insurance company, not necessarily what's dictated by your skills, your knowledge, your ability, your overheads, et cetera, et cetera. Can you comment on those issues? Most certainly. Most practices that we do buy do not participate in a lot of insurances. Typically, most practices that we acquire or have Usually, we accept the top two or three insurances that that most people do, which usually is Delta, Blue Cross, Altus. And we really don't do very much managed care. Uh, And of course, with them come some patients that are self-pay. But I'd say the majority of the patients that we get are from these top top two or three insurances we accept. Okay. And uh, how do you deal during these acquisitions when the dentist is already in network uh, with some of these plans? And and in many cases, it may take six to 12 months to actually get off those plans. How do you acclimate that patient base? That's an interesting question. I think some of that lies in the filters of the practice that we were to buy. But if we were particularly interested in a practice that took more number of insurances or managed plans that we would necessarily want to partake in. Oftentimes, we calculate and see what may happen if we drop certain plans that we don't want to be a part of. Um, And how we go about it with, with the timing of it is something that we do have to respect. But a lot of the practices that we do pick up typically do not participate in a lot of plans that we normally wouldn't ourselves. Okay. And uh, during the acquisition, without going into excessive detail, are you using an EBITDA 
formulation? Are you using a percentage of net collection? What's a general overview when you're looking at these practices to determine the purchase price? So today when we we look at practices, we typically do a P&L cash flow and determine EBITDA. And it's interesting because as time goes by, the way we see this organization growing is by getting our providers to become equity partners as long as they meet certain values. And so therefore, we've set up a very transparent system even to doctor sellers and for people who want to become equity partners who are associates um, that how we go about calculating EBITDA. And then after that, it's a multiple of that EBITDA that we determine given on the practice parameters that determine the the purchase price or the buy-in if this was an equity transition. And again, I'll leave it up to you to go as much detail or as little detail as you're comfortable with. Uh, But the individuals who don't or are not interested or you're not interested in having them as an equity partner, are they compensated on production, collection? Uh, Is it a percentage? How does that uh, working uh, contract uh, basically look in summary? Um, All of our providers, um, including myself, get compensated on a percentage of net collections. And there are no exceptions to that. And how do you handle uh, hygiene revenue? Let's just say a typical practice has two full-time oral educators or dental hygienists, and that revenue comes in, let's just say, around three to $4,000 a day. How does that get compensated? Is that split by all the providers? Uh, does that just go to the equity partners? How do you work that out? Okay, so I guess the only revenue drivers that do not get compensated on collections are our hygienists. Our hygienists get compensated on an hourly basis. And if we have other providers in the practice uh, who are equity partners, they only get compensated on their own patient collection. However, hygiene revenues do add something to the bottom line and that gets split as a percentage depending on the equity partnership share. And how do you handle the individual examination part of the hygiene? Uh, So typically, Mr. and Mrs. Smith come in. uh, Let's just say they have a 60-minute appointment for oral hygiene education, blood pressure pulse, radiographs, and prophy scaling uh, fluoridations. The list goes on and on. But at the end, I assume the doctors are doing a clinical exam Uh, at the end of that procedure. Does that clinical exam go on the associate doctor's revenue or does that go into the corporation? Um, For our organization, the the examination that occurs during hygiene gets billed to the provider who's providing the service. Okay. And how do you handle the radiographs? Let's just assume that the dental hygienist is taking four to seven horizontal and vertical uh, bite wings for part of the examination. The hygienist takes the radiographs, but the doctor has to do the diagnosis and the treatment planning on that. How does your organization handle that? The radiographs taken during hygiene are billed under the hygienist who's taking the radiographs. They do not go to the provider doing the exam. 
Well, Dr. Betty, I just want to say that one, I want to thank you very much for your positive attitude and your desire to help our profession. And I want to thank you so much for taking some of your busy time to educate our listeners on what your dental group is trying to do for our profession. Is there a way for people to reach out if they want to speak to you in or, or your corporation in, in private or just a, a way for them to contact? How would they reach you? Most certainly. So we are not hard to find. They can go on our website at bedidentalgroup.com. That is B-E-D-I dentalgroup.com or email us at transitions at bedidentalgroups.com. I'm also personally on LinkedIn, so they can connect with me there also. I'm always delighted to hear from fellow doctors. So if this sounds interesting, please reach out to me. And again, thank you so much for having me on your show. I can tell you it's a pleasure, and I look forward to speaking to you in the near future uh, so that we can get into the nitty-gritty in a little more depth. My name is Dr. Kevin Coughlin. You've been listening to Ascent Dental Solutions with a focus on knowledge, education, development, and training. Uh, tonight's guest, Dr. Betty, has a unique and optimistic uh, look at the dental profession, and he's trying to take the best of what managed service and dental support groups are trying to do to our profession and make it even better. Uh, I want to thank our sponsors, Vocal Dental Supply Company, Patterson Dental, Henry Shine Dental, and On Demand, and also a special shout out to David Wolf and his podcast company. Without all their help, these podcasts would not be possible. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to talking to you in the near future. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then... Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C.